You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Hey, welcome to Kingsway. We're glad you're here with us. If you are visiting with us, welcome. Maybe watching at home online. Perhaps this is your story. Last week on Easter Sunday, I met a number of families who said that was their first Sunday to church since pre-COVID. In fact, one family told me they literally watched almost every single message online, and I was just so thankful that we have that, put that team together. Uh, I met another couple today who just got back from Florida. They were been in Florida, they're snowbirds, and they said, Matt, we are also like that every time we're in Florida. We watch every week, and we gather our neighbors together and watch Kingsway together. So I just want to stop and say thank you to all of our production team and all the worship team and everybody who makes this stuff happen every single week. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now get in here so I can hug your neck in person. All right, now. Let's jump into this new series called uh, Death to Life. It's based off the book Lazarus Life. I'll talk a little bit more about in the middle of the message. You can still get the book. We still have some copies. We bought a limited run of copies, and we figured you'll get the book and buy it, and it's, just, it's pretty much at cost. If you want to make a donation to somebody else's book who can't afford it, feel free to do that. It's in the lobby right out here where you walk out the doors. Okay. In case you don't know the story of Lazarus, in a moment, I'm going to tell it to you, but let me start by asking you a question. Have you ever gone to God and asked him boldly to do something for you in prayer? You ever had that happen? When I was a little boy, I don't know exactly how old I was, somewhere between like three and four in that ballpark, I had a little dog and his name was Rocky. Apparently the Rocky movies, in case you've never heard of those, had come out and my parents showed it to me and apparently I really liked at least the name Rocky. And I love to play with this little dog. I don't remember anything about the dog. I was too little to remember it, but I just have seen pictures and the little guy was black. That's all I remember, just a little cute little black puppy dog. And um, apparently, we lived on a cul-de-sac, and one day the garbage truck came and backed up, and um, Rocky just happened to run headlong into the back of the garbage truck. And uh, I don't know the details on that, but there was a sandbox at the end of our yard that was really close. My parents, I guess, were anxious all the time that one of these days, I might be the one to get hit by the garbage truck. And so when my mom looked out the kitchen window and saw me playing with something, in the sandbox, and uh, she said, Mom, I don't know what's wrong with Rocky. He just keeps falling over. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, it may not be as gross as it sounds, but I can tell you my mom was pretty freaked out. And um, this is, you're like, where are you going with this, Pastor Matt? Well, it's about the story of Lazarus. So every night, apparently, I would pray. I'd like kneeling in my bed next to my daddy. Dear God, please, would you bring Rocky back from the dead? And my parents were like awed by my faith, but my mom also tells me she was a little afraid that like God would answer it and Rocky would come like <laughs> dragging up to the door and be like, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know where that came from. My mom never did that. Anyway, and here's the thing. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to have faith like a child, right? My little guys, I have three little boys, um, 13, 11, and eight, they trust in Jesus. Now, they trust in Jesus because we've told them to. And we celebrate stories of God's will and work all the time. But it blows me away. Like, if one of us gets sick, my kids will say, we should pray for mom. She's not feeling good. And we will. Like, it, it, I do pray for my wife. Like, I absolutely do. I pray for myself. But my natural inclination is, you know what? If I get sick, I'm going to work through it. My body's going to get over it. It's not that big of a deal, right? I'm going to get the virus. I'm going to move on. That's how it's going to go. My kids are like, why wouldn't we take this to God? He loves us. He cares. He would answer it. And then when they do get better, my kids are like, look, God heard our prayers. And I'm like, why 
Why am I so slow to reach out? Why am I so slow to trust? And why am I so slow to believe? And so as we walk through this series, what I believe we need to do today is I need to teach you the story of Lazarus. Because I know this, some of you visiting us, you don't have a church background. You've been to a church for a wedding or a funeral, perhaps, maybe, but probably not. Nowadays, most people don't do weddings or funerals in churches. And so you maybe don't know the story. Now, for those of you who've been in the faith for decades, you could tell every detail of the story. But we're gonna walk through the story today. We're gonna preach the story today. We're gonna find Jesus in the story today. Then over the next coming weeks, we're gonna look at it like looking at a jewel or a diamond from different angles. Go, hey, look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that. We're gonna look at it in different ways to see what else we can learn. Now, since you may or may not know the story, I took the verses from John chapter 11. I took out roughly 10 verses just to summarize it down. And uh, Derek, our video guy, does a fantastic job. And Derek put together this video for you. So let's all just read the story together. Here we go. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So good. I said, can we just stop and give glory to God's word for a minute? 
Now, <clears throat> today's message is not about miracles, but you can't very well talk about the story without at least talking about miracles, right? So people come up to me all the time and ask me about miracles. Here's what I will say simply. I don't know. I'm not trying to be pejorative. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm not trying to be a man lacking in faith. What I am trying to say is this. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we will get to this throughout today. When we see miracles throughout the Old and New Testament, the miracles testify specifically to the work of God. They point us to a person, to a moment. They point us to always to God himself as the one who has the power to heal, to do for whatever reason or purpose. We are told to ask in faith and trust God to work, and that sometimes is hard. We're also told to accept whatever God believes is best. Do I believe that miracles happen today? Absolutely, I do. Somebody after the last service said, how's your mom doing? I haven't talked about it much lately publicly. My mom was told three years ago she wouldn't live to the next Christmas. They told her she probably wouldn't make it past June. I finally, after four or five times of having my last conversation with my mom, I said, Mom, I can't keep doing this. You know I love you. I don't know of anything else left to say. If I think of it, I'll tell you. But let's just not have our last conversation every time we talk. And that actually made it way better. But then six months turned into 12 months, turned into 18 months, and here we are three years later, and she's doing better than she's done for five years. Yeah. I won't bore you with all the medical diagnoses. Her doctors have done a great job, but they prescribed a medicine for her that they thought could help rebuild and restore her lungs, except for if you read what the medicine tells you, you know, like the commercials, it's like, this might help you with your eyes, but you're gonna get all these other problems. This is one of those kind of medicines. You open it up, and the issues that this medicine alone would cause were so severe that basically it tells you, they tell you, you probably won't make it much more than 10 years, maybe 15. From the medicine alone, it's going to kill you, but it's gonna give you that much more time. Here's what I thought is that that medicine was doing its work, and my mom was doing amazing, and I was like, wow, praise God. Mom, we're gonna get another 10 years with you. And then she told me when I went back to visit a couple months ago that, they took her off that medicine in the first month because she was allergic to it. I didn't even know. And here she is doing amazing. And they don't have an explanation. Yeah, yeah. So what I know is she still has plenty of medical complications. I mean, she's 29 again. You know, she's, you know, getting up there in age. And um, she still has plenty of issues. Just plenty of struggles. If you were to talk to anybody in my family, we didn't know those. But she's alive and well. It took time, it took patience, it took working with doctors. Some of it's almost miraculous. I don't know, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. What I know is we ought to pray and pray in faith and trust a really big God to do anything. But don't miss this. The purpose of any, any answer to prayer is to still point us back to the prayer answerer, not the prayer itself. Let's jump into the story and see where, what we learn and where it takes us. Ready? Verse one of chapter 11. <clears throat> now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Let's just unpack a few things real quick. So we have two sisters and a brother, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, right? They are one family, and throughout the gospels, we see Jesus hanging out with them. In fact, he stays at their house, they feed him, they care for him. They're very close friends. It's extremely important as we unpack this story. That's why when they send message to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, Jesus is roughly two miles away. I live one mile door to door. 
So there's been seasons in my life where one of our cars is broken or whatever, and I tell my wife, don't worry, you and the kids keep a car, I'll ride my bike or I'll walk to work. And there's some, you know, sneaky parts there where I gotta kind of like dodge traffic and walk down to people's yards and over the river through the woods or whatever it is, right? And I gotta get there the hard way, but I still get there. And on a slow day, when I'm meandering and stopping to smell all the flowers, I can walk it in 20 minutes. So Jesus is not that far away, right? I don't know how long it takes a caravan of people to pack up all their stuff and go, whatever, but he's roughly an hour or so away travel-wise, pretty close. So they send word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And I love, that's a whole sermon that maybe they'll come up later, but his identity, Lazarus's identity is the one you love. Verse four, (laughs) you may notice I skipped verse two. I'll get to it later in this series. It's not important today. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, let's just stop there. I know some of you read the next verse, but just stick with me for a second. The purpose of any interaction with God is to glorify his son. You've heard me say this throughout the Old Testament. Every Old Testament hero points us to Jesus. Every New Testament hero points us to Jesus. And when our lives are being most successful, it's still pointing to Jesus. The whole point, what Jesus is doing here is he's not going to show up. He's not going to heal his friend. And here's the thing. He doesn't even have to show up. We know this. Throughout the gospels, there are stories of times that Jesus heals people who are dying. They're sick and they're about to go and he heals them and he's not even there. And Jesus commends those people for their faith. Well done, you believed. You believed greater than Israel believes. One of them's a Gentile. He's like, you, you did this because of your faith. I have healed you. I have healed this thing. Jesus doesn't even have to be there. He could snap his fingers or whatever he wants to do, spit in the mud. He can make it happen. He could heal Lazarus and not go, hey, just send the word back to Mary and Martha. It's all good. Lazarus is good. At noon today, he'll get up. Everything's fine. He didn't. He didn't. And the reason he didn't is because he's going to go do something bigger. The right way to preach this is to sit in the pain for a minute. The wrong way to preach this is to tell you that just hang on, God's got a bigger miracle for you. God does have a bigger miracle for you, but it might come on the other side of your last breath. It might come on the other side of your grandma's last breath, your parents' last breath, your child's last breath. It might not come in this way. And I don't want to sell you a false gospel. That would be dangerous for all of us. The purpose of what Jesus is about to do, the purpose anytime God answers any of our prayers, is to point to his son that he might be glorified through it. Are you with me? So I don't want you to have a relationship with God that is all about getting a miracle. I want you to have a relationship with God that is all about Jesus. But then notice, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And John's putting that nugget in there because of everything you're about to read. Even though he's only two miles away, he's not gonna show up when they've asked him to show up. He's not gonna do what they asked him to do. But John, who wrote this book, does not want you to think for one minute that means he doesn't love them. He absolutely emphatically loves them. His inactivity in this moment has nothing to do with his care for them. Jump to verse six, so... 
when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Have you ever felt like your prayers were going unheard? Have you ever felt like you asked and asked and prayed and prayed and God's not moving, he's not stirring and you think to yourself, what did I do wrong? I mean, I missed Sunday, I missed that one church service. I remember that. I remember when God told me to stop doing that one thing and I didn't stop it right away. Maybe, maybe if, I, if I do things the right way or if I can you know, jiggle this thing or change that thing or whatever it is, right? Maybe I can make God do it. Maybe I can you know, set my life up in such a way that he has to act because I have earned it and he owes me one. Now, none of us would ever say that. We just think it, right? Come on, I do. And it's not that I actually actively think it because I got to talk myself through it. I got to work myself through it. But that's the point. In this story, you're going to see so many characters who have to talk themselves through it and work themselves through it. And we think if I could just play this game with God, you need to know that God loves Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. He's got a plan. He's got a strategy. And it is so possible that God has a plan and a strategy for your life as well and everything you're going through. But the goal, the end game, is that it'll point back to Jesus and give him the glory no matter what. Verse 11. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. He gathers the disciples together. This is what he's telling them. But I'm gonna go there to wake him up. His disciples replied, uh, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. Well, thank you very much, disciples. Jesus didn't know that's how this works. <clears throat> By the way, this just shows me that, <clears throat> excuse me, 2,000 years ago, they still very much understood medicine and how the body works. If you're sick, go to sleep. Quit playing on your phone, put it down, go to sleep. Quit writing on tablets, go to sleep. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but it is relevant for our message today. Throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, the concept of falling asleep is associated with death. And the reason why is because for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, who's accepted him as our Lord and Savior, when we die, it will be no different than asleep. Not that you'll be able to go and wake that person up and they'll get up and walk and whatever, in that one day when Jesus Christ returns, the last trumpet is blasted, the dead in Christ will rise and it'll be no different than taking a nap. Perhaps a long nap, depending on when he returns, but it'll be no different. They will literally wake up and come alive in Jesus Christ. It is no different than falling asleep. <clears throat> Jesus isn't picking that analogy to trick them or play games with them or be coy with them. He's trying to use a biblical metaphor. Paul built Paul builds on this later when he talks about all these things in Corinthians and in Thessalonians. He's trying to make this, us aware. Death is not something to be afraid of. It's no, better, no different than a long nap. For the Christian, you will pass from life to life with a nap in between. That's it. So there's nothing to be afraid of. Don't get me wrong. I am not looking forward to the weeks or months or moments, whatever they are, right before my nap. I don't know how painful that's gonna be. But I'm not worried about the nap itself because on the other end of that nap, I'm gonna be alive with Jesus for eternity. <clears throat> but that means something. So then Jesus is like, okay, all right, <laughs> verse 14. So then he told them plainly, all right, Lazarus is dead and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Wait, what? If you're tracking in the book of John, we're pretty far along, actually. We're not far 
from what we celebrated last weekend. We're not far from the arrest, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. We're close. We're, we're, we're really far. We're years into this journey at this point, and they still don't believe? And maybe some of you can relate with them in that way. It's one thing to have a mental ascent, right? Like this acknowledgement that God is good, God is great, and let us thank him for our food or whatever it is, right? Like God is there, the man upstairs, he's on my side. He wants good for me, he loves me. But to actually truly believe, Jesus knows he's got to shake them out of this position they're in into a deeper trust, a deeper faith, a deeper understanding of who he is. He's got to push them past their walls and barriers that they've constructed that's keeping them from fully embracing him. So he says, we're gonna go so that I can do something so that you'll believe. So let us go to him. Now, <clears throat> out there, I told you about it briefly. There's a book. It's called The Lazarus Life. The Lazarus Life. And the point of The Lazarus Life, there's a little tagline. You may not be able to see it here, but it's spiritual transformation for ordinary people. The goal is the author, Stephen Smith, he's taking the story of Lazarus and he's going to try to apply the different characters, specifically Lazarus himself, to us. And he's gonna walk through different pieces of the story and open it up for us. I want you to consider buying the book and reading through it. I know some of you, I had a guy this morning tell me, I don't read books, but now he's like in men's group with me and he has to read books. He's like, oh, I'm starting to read books, fine. So here's the thing. I know most of you don't read books. This is the easiest book in the world to read. In my men's group a few years ago, we went through this book. They said it was the best book we did, hands down. The reason is it's really, really, really easy. It's really, really, really readable. It's really simple to follow. But it's gonna give you a process. I am not going to preach his words. I'm gonna preach what I feel like God has laid on my heart. The book is gonna supplement. The two things are gonna complement each other. So get the book. Okay, if we run out of books, go to Amazon. Get the book. Start it whenever you want. We're basically gonna do a chapter a week. Now, moving on. The reason this is powerful is because this thing going on in Lazarus is exactly what needs to go inside of us. There's a death and a life that needs to occur in us, but it doesn't happen easy. And we fight against it at every possible turn. Stephen Smith in the book says this, it is possible to lead a wholesome life, one in which we maintain a job, marry a person we love, have children, bury our parents, and attend the church of our choice, and still miss out on what Jesus promised we could have. We might call it living a wholesome life of quiet desperation. And the reality is some of us are just desperately longing for Jesus to come and do something in us that hasn't happened yet. Some of us are longing for that joy that we're promised would come, but where is it? Where will I see the activity of God in the land of the living? Where are you, God? I'm hanging on, I'm showing up, I'm waiting, and it just hasn't happened. And maybe just maybe, it's because a death still needs to occur in us. And the death, perhaps, is of the life that I thought I needed, the life that I thought I wanted, the life that I thought I could achieve, and instead embracing who God is, what he desires for me. See, I don't know about you, but I know me. I like being in charge. Does anybody else feel that way? I love, yes, thank you, at least one honest person in the room. 
I love it when my kids do everything I tell them to do. I like it when my wife does everything I tell her to do. By the way, I'm pretty sure she likes the same thing. I like it when everybody, I love it when I am awesome and everybody tells me how amazing I am. I don't, I don't make any mistakes. I never make any mistakes. I tell my kids all the time, I've never made a mistake in my life. There was one time I thought I made a mistake. Turns out I was wrong. It's the only time I ever made a mistake. You can use that one later for those of you who like being in control like me. And you know what we call that? Worship. I want the whole world to revolve around me. Hi, my name is Matt Nickerson. I'm the pastor at Kingsway Christian Church, and I want the world to revolve around me. And the Bible calls that sin, and all of us are guilty of it in our own way. Some of y'all didn't think that was funny. Our pastor's messed up. It's time to find a new church. And your pastor's honest. I'm honest. And I don't want that. I want a real king seated on a real throne who's really going to be worthy of worship because I can promise you now, it is not me. John eleven twenty one. 21. What you're gonna see here is Jesus shows up in Bethany and he calls Martha out to meet with him and he has a conversation with Martha. Then he calls her sister Mary out to meet with him and he has a conversation with Mary. And what I want you to see is in both those conversations, we see the exact same problem raised to the surface. You ready? Here we go. John eleven twenty one. 21. Lord, now she's talking to Jesus. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Fast forward again, 11 verses. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They are thinking the exact same way. And here's the thing, for every single person who wants a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to wrestle with the truth. And I love this, I love this. You know why I love this? We celebrate godly men and righteous men in the Bible all the time. Men like Abraham and Noah and Moses and David. And we celebrate their failures and their flaws. I mean, they're raising, to, raising up to strength and power and trust and faith. I love this because God gave us two great, strong, amazing women and you see their struggle. Here's their struggle, it's the same thing. We believe in you, God. We trusted in you. Jesus, here you are. We know you could do anything. We believe you could do anything. And we asked you to do something. And you didn't do it. Now what do I do? What do I do when I am convinced you can do it, but then you, you don't do it? You don't do it the way I want, when I want, how I want. I don't understand you. You could hear it in these women. They know that Jesus loves them. He came. You didn't even have to come. We know the stories where you didn't show up. But if you had come, you weren't that far away. Why did you wait? If only you had been here. But see, it's the waiting where we grow the most. It's in the crucible, the pain, the struggle of the waiting. We don't grow when everything is easy. We grow when it's difficult and painful. We grow when there's struggle. When we grow when we have to cry out, oh, God, help! Help me in my unbelief. I want to keep trusting you, but I don't understand. 
I didn't read all of his book, just kind of skimmed a little bit of it. So I, I just want to be very careful. I'm not, I don't know anything about the book. I can't promote it. But Betsy Childs Howard wrote a book called Seasons of Waiting, Walking by Faith When Dreams Are Delayed. And she says, this is so good. She says, waiting exposes our idols and throws a wrench into our coping mechanisms. It brings us to the end of what we can control and forces us to cry out to God. God doesn't waste our waiting. He uses it to conform us to the image of his son. Because in the waiting, when I don't know what God is going to do next, I get to affirm the truths and the depth of my faith. Are you enough for me, Jesus? Are you only enough if you do what I ask, when I ask, how I ask? And it's the struggle for all of us, isn't it? Recently, one of my Bible college professors passed away. And when he was sick and struggling there towards the end of his life, another professor of mine who I'm a little closer to, I was a closer friend with that one, he went to visit him just to encourage him. And he said, how is your faith? And my Bible college professor, the first one who was dying, he said, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. And you may not know this, but that's actually right out of the book of Job who more than anybody, perhaps ever than Jesus himself, understood the weights of pain in this life. Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. By the way, Shane and Shane, if you don't know who they are, Christian worship artists, they wrote a song about that very concept because sometimes it feels like that, God, I do not understand. I do not understand what you're doing or why you're doing it, but I will trust you see it in Martha, the ver, ver, verse 22. If you go back, remember Martha and then Mary, he's talking to Martha. Martha says, I, I, I know you could have done something. If you were here, I know, but he didn't. So now what? She says in verse 22, but I know that even now, God will ask you whatever, or sorry, God will give you whatever you ask. And what I want you to see here in Martha is like she's trying to work it out. Ah, I know you could have done it. You didn't. He's been dead for four days but I know now that you can do anything. Now, the reason that's powerful is not because she thinks he's gonna raise him from the dead. She doesn't. And before you think I'm wrong, finish the story. When Jesus, we'll get there in a second, but when Jesus says, all right, let's see, take me to the grave, open the stone. Martha's like, I don't think you wanna go there, Jesus. I don't think this is a good idea. She has no idea what he's really capable of. She has no idea what he actually is going to do. She's only trying to wrestle it out. I know you could have. I know you didn't. But I still believe that you can do whatever you want. I'm telling you, that struggle is so good for all of us, male or female. It's so good because it takes that faith that we say we believe in, and it's the crux of it all, right? The crucible moment when the pressure is on, like, will I really actually believe this? Now that it doesn't appear, it's going to be easy. Now, Jesus really blows her mind. Verse 23, he says, your brother will rise again. Like, this is like the, the sleep comment. Could you just be a little more forthright with what you're thinking? But here's the thing, and I don't want you to miss this. I want to be so careful. I feel like I can't use enough words, and it frustrates me. God, help me. Please, God, help me. Because I don't want to leave anybody with a misrepresentation of what the scriptures say. But throughout the gospels, Jesus is bound by the lack of faith. 
There are times he can't perform many miracles in his own town because they didn't have faith. I also am not a TV preacher. I do not believe that just because you believe he can means that he will, and if he doesn't, means you didn't have enough faith, that you're the problem. We see that in Martha, and it drives me crazy that these false preachers abuse people to take their money. Do you ever notice that they get richer and the people don't? It drives me crazy. There's a tension here. You're supposed to wrestle with the tension. The tension of, I believe you, so I ask. But sometimes you don't do it, or don't do it fast enough, or don't do it the way I thought, and I still believe in you, but I don't see where the story's going. And it's important that we hang on in faith. God, let that be clear enough. It's important that we hang on in faith and that we don't lose the big picture that Jesus, at the end of the day, is everything that I need. If he doesn't heal me, he's still what I need at the end of the day. If I still die, I'm going to die, I hope, I don't want to be a million years old, that one day I will still be resurrected. And that's important to what we're about to go to. Martha answered, I know, I know I'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know, I know. And what you're seeing again is Martha working it out in real time. Like nowadays, you'd make an appointment with the council. This would take you like three months to get to this conversation. She's like, we're not gonna mess around. Like right now, do you believe me? Do you trust me? Oh yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's all gonna work out in the end. No, Martha, that's not what I'm saying. Look, verse 25, Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Me, I am What Martha is referring to is this belief among a certain religious group that she would have fallen into that believed there would be a resurrection on the last day. The Pharisees and the Sadducees disagreed about this. So those who followed the Pharisees' teachings believed there would be a resurrection at the last day. That one day, those who are dead would rise. Exactly what that looks like. They had no concept for Jesus and no idea for the things that Jesus taught us. But yeah, I know, at the last day, he'll rise. Of course, that'll happen. And Jesus is going, no, Of course, that's going to happen, Martha. But the reason it happens is me. I'm the reason it happens. See, they aren't to the cross yet. What we just celebrated last week when Jesus was crucified and then died and went into the grave and then came up alive out of the grave is that he beat death. He took the sting of death right away from all of us. So now whoever places their faith in him, they will live even though they die. That's the point he's trying to make. It's me. I have the power. I overcame the grave. I can do that in you. And not then, not then, Martha, here, now, because it's me. So he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, me. And now you gotta get this one. This is it. This is like all of it. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Let's stop there for a second. This is not popular, I know. We go to funerals today and we all wanna believe that the person who died will be in heaven forever. And so we come up with all kinds of mental games we play because we just want to believe that. I know this is hard. Look, I know it is. But just stick with me, okay? Don't, don't lose hope. Let me just unpack the scriptures quickly, okay? We say things like, oh, they've gone to a better place. And we look for any 
modicum, just a small amount of, but they were really nice and they were kind and they were generous. And I remember that one time when they did that really kind thing, they didn't have to do that. Jesus gives us one answer for how that becomes a reality, one. Did we believe in Jesus? How much faith do I need to be saved? How much faith do I need that on my last breath, I'll rise again? Well, Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, crumble into the sea, and it will have to obey. So apparently, if I only need that much faith to do something like that, I don't know. But I know this, it can't be faith in anyone or anything else than him. He is the resurrection and the life. Him and him alone. And it's hard for all of us because if God would just do everything we asked when we asked him, it would be so easy to say, oh, my faith is secure. I mean, every time I ask him to do something, he does it. I mean, it's amazing, right? But sometimes God says, no, or not yet, or not now. And there's a lot of reasons why, but some of it is he wants to know, will you trust me if I'm not just your genie and you rub the lamp and it comes out and I just do what you want? I want to know, do you love me? Do you trust me? Do you have a relationship with me? And if you do, though you die, death is coming for everybody who isn't alive when Jesus returns. Like, we're all going to die. So you don't have to worry about whether you're not. Like, again, how, when, I don't know. I'd like to think I'd get a few more decades for the sake of my wife and my kids. I trust you'll all be fine. If God took me out today with the ice cream truck or the ice cream itself, might not be a bad way to go. If that were to happen, like God will raise up another pastor. It's his church. You don't belong to me. I trust that fully. But my kids only have one dad. My wife only has one husband that I'm aware of. And um, <laughs> my wife's sitting here right now. I'm joking. I have, she has one husband. I'm confident. I always get in trouble for the things I let out. Anyway. But I'm not ready yet. But if God were to take me out, I still trust him with my eternity. But then notice the second thing he says. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So what does that mean? Jesus, you're being confusing. Does that mean that you'll never die? No, you'll die. It's just you're really only falling asleep. Are you with me? But this point is so powerful because we are not saved by what we do, but Jesus expects that when we come to him in faith, it's not just a tip of the hat to the man upstairs. He wants all of us. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants your mind. He wants your strength. He wants your finances. Oh my goodness, I said it. He wants your time. He wants your spouse. He wants your kids. He wants your neighborhood. He wants your job. He wants to know that all of you is leaning upon all of him and that he's got your back. And that's why he says, and whoever lives by believing in me, lives. You're gonna live. You're gonna be alive here on this earth. You will never die. So you're gonna put your faith and your trust and your hope in him and say, I don't have all the answers, but I'm gonna seek your face. I'm gonna trust you, whatever you want from me. I'm gonna follow you. And if we do that, if we give him our lives, we will never die. And then, and then he says, do you believe this? And maybe that question more than any other is the question we need to answer today. Do we believe this? This isn't just about Martha or Mary. This is about us. Yes, Lord, she replies. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. 
Jesus figures the conversation's gone as far as it can go. He sends her off to get Mary. Mary comes back. Mary meets Jesus out there. And we're gonna do a little bit of one, two, skip a few. And it says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her, this is Mary now, weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have they laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Now, you need to get this. Because see, when you ask Jesus to do something and he doesn't seem to do it in the time frame or the way that you want, it leaves us with questions. And what John is trying to show us is Jesus is in it with them. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Well, what's he troubled about? This is like when you, you know, you're taking your kids. Like, I don't know about any of you. I figured out how to hack Chick-fil-A. So you go to Chick-fil-A, you get the kid's meal, you trade out the useless toy that's gonna end up on the floor in your car or in the trash can. You trade it out for ice cream and you're the best parent in the history of the world. You're welcome. You just have to wait till tomorrow. Anyway. So, imagine you take your kids for Chick-fil-A and they say, Daddy, I've eaten all of my chicken and I've had all of my amazing fries or whatever. Can I have my ice cream? And you say, oh, kids, I didn't get you any ice cream. And they go, what? <laughs> now, they are throwing an absolute fit. This has not happened in my home. I'm making this up. They are throwing an absolute fit because they think you withheld ice cream from them. And you say, but kids, we're going to Orange Leaf. Oh, all of a sudden, you're the greatest dad in the world again, right? Because who wouldn't trade boring vanilla ice cream for orange leaf? Keep your hand down. I don't want to hear about it, all right? It's an analogy. That's the point. Jesus, you know that you're about to give them orange leaf. Why in the world are you upset? You know it. Why aren't you just going, <laughs> this is going to be awesome. Just wait, guys. Just wait. Everybody calm down. Everybody take a deep breath. We just stop crying already in the back seat. You just settle down for a minute. I got this. Do you know why he doesn't? Because he's human. He's fully God and he's fully man. It's what we call the incarnation and he loves them. He crazy loves them. He's meeting them in their pain. He's feeling what they're feeling. He's grieving. He hates death. He hates death so much. He's gonna take all of it into himself and let it ravage him for three days. This is why he came. He hates this. He hates what it's done to his creation. He hates what it's done to his world. He hates what it's done to you and to me. He hates the way people hurt over it. He hates the suffering and the pain and the grief and the loss, and it overcomes him. And in verse 35, the two words that help us understand, Jesus wept. It's the shortest English verse in the Bible. And it shows us that when you aren't sure if God cares, he cares. He didn't trickle a tear. He didn't have one of those moments that men have, right? <clears throat> no, he wept. And it tells me that it's okay, men, to cry. It's okay to cry. When life hurts, it's okay to cry. And I love the way Henry Nouwen says this, the secret of waiting is the faith that the seed has been planted in, that something has begun. Waiting, active waiting, means to be present fully to the moment. 
in the conviction that something is happening where you are and that you want to be present to it. A waiting person is someone who is present to the moment, who believes that this moment is the moment. The most important thing is that I am here, God is with me. This didn't happen, I'm still working out this, but right here in the waiting, God is weeping with me. Remember, John went out of his way to affirm he loved them, he loved them, he loved them. He's weeping, he's there, he cares. In fact, verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved. Man, John is going out of his way. I wonder if he and Jesus ever talked about this stuff later. Jesus is like, man, I was so overcome by that moment. John wrote this, he's, he's deeply moved. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. I'm pretty sure it's the King James says, but Lord, he stinketh. I've used that with some of my teenage sons. Anyway, Sometimes my wife tells me I make jokes in tense moments, but it's because I'm trying to relieve the tension for a moment because this is actually a beautiful moment. But Martha doesn't believe. In case you weren't sure I was telling the truth, she doesn't believe. She doesn't trust yet. And Martha's going, "Ah, Jesus, I don't know what you're up to, but you really don't want to do that. And she's going, Martha, I do know what I'm up to, and I really do. And then he says to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Did I not tell you? And here comes the moment. And then he tells Lazarus to get up and Lazarus comes out of the grave. Probably comes out like this, which we'll actually talk about in a series. And I wondered like, did those grave clothes stink like death, even though the man inside was alive? And people, did they have to help him? We're gonna walk through all of that throughout this series. But I want you to see this. I want this challenge from Steve Smith who wrote the book Lazarus Life to just sit with us for a week now because we are Martha and we are Mary and we are Lazarus. And he says this, aren't we tired of changing just enough to get by? Change from the outside might look good at church on Sunday, but it leaves us empty and restless the other six days of the week. Pseudo transformation doesn't touch our deepest soul sickness. It doesn't move us beyond the issues, problems, and sins that keep us from experiencing the life Jesus promised. Pseudo transformation leaves us sick because when we don't really change, we have to live with the residue of guilt and shame over our repeated attempts to get life right. But what if what God really wanted to do in each of us was really change us, transform us from death? to life. I love the way Romans 2.4 says this, the message translation. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and he leads us into a radical life change. But he takes you by the hand. There's a moment where this process begins in us. We call it faith, or if you will, Salvation. There's this moment, and here it is, the moment where I say, God, I don't know everything there is to know, but I believe in you. I trust you. I've seen enough. I've heard enough. I know you are God. Of all the other false gods and options out there, I know you are God. I don't understand everything, but I trust you. How much faith does it take? A little tiny mustard seed is enough to do some pretty powerful things. So it takes enough to make a firm decision, I believe you. 
Now, the very next thing that we do, the Bible calls it repentance. It's this decision, okay, God, I don't know everything I need to walk away from, but I do know I gotta stop doing these things. I gotta stop living the life from me where I'm the one that's always in charge and in control and everything is always about me. I've gotta start living more selflessly, stop living so selfishly, and I'm gonna turn to you and give my life to you. The Bible calls that repentance. We do that in an instant by making initial decision. God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm gonna do it. Wherever you tell me to go, I'm gonna go. Whatever you tell me to say, I'm gonna say it. I'm just gonna give my life to you and I may not even know what all that means. But here is me, I'm not gonna argue with it, I'm just gonna surrender. And then the way that we surrender is we unite with Christ in what's called baptism. The reason we use such a cool baptistry here at Kingsway is because when you go down into the waters, you are dying. The old you is staying behind. It's a uniting of the new you with Jesus Christ so that the old you can stay under the waters. Paul says in Romans 6, this is like a death, burial, and resurrection, just like Jesus did when he, on Easter Sunday, died, buried, and was raised again. So when we come up out of the waters, we're coming up out of the waters of new life. And so we are transformed. Paul says, I think it's in Colossians, we are clothed with Christ when we are baptized into him. So when we come up out of those waters, it's like the old dirty clothes are taken off, new set of clothes are put on, not literally though, you might because you're wet, but spiritually speaking, because we are now being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So I'm just asking this question. Is there anybody in here who is ready to make that kind of decision today? To accept Jesus by faith, to turn away from your old life and be united with him in baptism. If that's you, I'm just gonna ask you right now to boldly raise your hand. And you might be terrified, like what's gonna happen? Somebody's gonna come over to you and say, hi, it's really scary, I know. <laughs> and they're gonna give you a card and they're just gonna say, hey, let's follow up and talk so we can explain to you who Jesus is and what it means to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we got people that are watching down here on the floor. They're watching upstairs. So it doesn't matter where you are. You can raise your hand. We'll get to you. And if you're one of those people, because we have this every week, it's like, ah, I don't want to raise my hand. I get it. I get it. You can always go by our Connect Hub and get information and just say, I don't, I don't know what to do, but Pastor Matt was speaking. It was like he was talking right to me. Just help me figure this out. And they'll help you. But the rest of us, what I want to do is close in prayer. And I want to do one more thing after I pray, then I'm going to dismiss you. We're done for the day. Let's pray. Father God, would you raise up in us faith? I'm thinking about the dad who asked Jesus to heal his son and he probably mistakenly said, if you can, would you heal him? And Jesus says, if I can. And the father says, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Help me. Grow my faith, God. Grow my trust when I go through difficult times in this life, Father, would you meet me in them, weep with me, hold me, cry with me, care for me, protect me, shield me, fight for me, but help me. You tell us that the Holy Spirit is our helper. So God, when we come up out of those waters in faith, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, our helper, our advocate, one who fights for us in battles we don't even see or know or understand. But God, may we, may we be a people that you can look at and say, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Thank you for being such an ever-present father. We love you, God. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. Last thing I want to tell you about, real quick, I promise. Get out the door, okay? Uh, next week, we're kicking off our starting point class. This is our membership class. 
Maybe you've heard me talk about giving your life to Christ every single Sunday and you're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. This is a great place to start. It's a multiple week class, but just come to the first one. You don't have to commit to anything but the first one. Just show up and say, all right, what is a king's way? What is a church? What does faith mean? And then that first class, they're gonna start the conversation with you. It's just a chance to explore Kingsway and get to know more about us. You can go right by our Connect Hub anytime and just say, I'm interested. But next week is the kickoff. So if you're here this week, you're interested, go at least get information. What's the worst that happens? It might be the best decision of your life. God bless you. We'll see you next week.